we are talking about why love is the excellent way for you. If you haven't already opened the first Corinthians, but now just go to 13. I don't know if you have to turn a page, but today we come to a text of scripture that I'm so excited about because this is a text of scripture that we're going to spend several lessons in. We're primarily going to be in verses one to three today. It's a text of scripture that you are very familiar with. But let me read verses 4 to 7 first, where it says, Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly, verse 5 says. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. My hope is that when we're done with this study, that you will be committed to practicing agape love. This is a Greek word love here, agape love, a love of sacrifice, a love of choice, a love that is a love that puts others first. Um, It is the action above all actions that you must focus on. And... Last week, I said I wanted you to leave the study committed to it. I don't know if you all did. And even if you are, I'm hoping it will convince you all the more that you're on the right path. But this is definitely something that when you look at it, it is something that you have to realize, as we studied last week, and I'll reference those, that it runs through all of Scripture. The Apostle Paul has said, I'm going to show you a more excellent way And now he goes into an argument, and everything in chapter 13 isn't just to describe love. It is a philosophical, theological argument that you have to understand is there to try to show you why it's better to be loving than to be a spiritual superman. I'll explain that more. But, you know, the idea is, as we go through this, is that you can be a very powerful person. You can be someone that God wants every person to be if you operate and focus on love. Now, love that is sacrificial, love that is patient, kind, not jealous, not bragging, love that impacts the way you think, the way you speak, the way you act, and your sins of omission. I want you to regularly take your life through those 15 verbal adjectives and challenge yourself on a regular basis. I like love if it was a daily basis. But you, if you can get this down, not only does it achieve what God wants us to be, not only does it achieve the most excellent way, but I started studying last week. I said, you know, there's some, like I want to say, ancillary things that really hit impact people. Number one is that people in this world feel lonely. They often feel as if they're all by themselves. They often feel like even in a crowded room that they're they're there by themselves. And sometimes you all go through this. I can tell you if you have this mindset where you're going to be thinking about other people first, then all of a sudden, whether you come to church or whether you're in the office, you're in a neighborhood that puts you isolated, I don't know what it would be, but if you're coming with that mindset, 
then you are going to start to find yourself not concerned about being lonely. I just, like I said in the illustration, I, I, I you know, I, I look at people, like, there are people that come to church and they wonder, who's saying hello to me? And then there are people who are saying, who can I say hello to? And I can tell you the people that are saying, who can I say hello to? Who can I put myself out there for? Are the people that don't feel lonely and don't be, aren't complaining and aren't people that are always negative. Whether it's, again, church or work or whatever. Then there's this sense of joy. Everybody wants joy. Christmas songs are about joy. People talk about joy. People want joy. I know that it's critical in my relationship with God because remember, if you were with us last week, if you weren't, the number one commandment is to love God. It's agape love. And I believe out of my relationship with God, which we just studied in Philippians in our Sunday school class, my push for Sunday school, is if I really want to have joy, I really have to have this right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And through his spirit, he is going to bless my submissions, my trusting in his sovereignty. And situations, as I think about what's best for another person rather than what's best for me, will always work into me getting joy. Then it will also impact the idea of legalism. I don't want to be a Christian that is just always doing just a list of things. I want this to come from the heart. And I tell you, when you wake up every morning and you're saying, God, help me to be patient, help me to be kind, help me to be somebody that doesn't seek my own in a situation, help me to discern in this situation why in this situation I should speak up and in this situation I shouldn't, I want you to be spirit-led. I truly believe somebody that has this focus will not end up falling into just a system of legalism. And then, I didn't add, have this one last week, I add this. If you're ever wondering about, am I really saved? Am I really born again? I didn't talk about this, but the book of 1 John talks about God is love, and everyone you know, that knows God loves this agape love, not this sexual love, not this just even a family love, this agape love of being patient, kind, bearing, believing, hoping all things. The book of 1 John says in 5, 1 John 5, 13, these things have been written over that you may know that you have eternal life. And through a series of three tests, test of truth, test of obedience, but a test of love, and it's one of the three critical ones, you get more and more confidence that you're truly born again. And a person that doesn't have confidence, their life is messed up. They don't, you know, oh, I don't think I'm a believer, so I guess I just drink. I think I'll just, you know, walk out and do something evil here today. Those are the extremes, obviously. But I'm telling you, assurance of salvation is critical. And the person that isn't assured of their salvation isn't going to serve. You need to be assured of your salvation. God made it the helmet of salvation that Ephesians chapter 6 talks about. And then lastly, there's about having a rewarding life. Listen, if you really want to make an impact and you come to judgment day, God, God is going to look at how you put into practice those 15 adjectives, how you put those into practice. Listen, someone says, well, again, I'm not concerned about reward. You better be because God says you better be. Passages from 1 Corinthians 3 all the way to the book of Revelation, the the Bema seat. 
God is talking about how you lived your life. And, and you can find, my goodness, do you mean I'm going to be rewarded because I was patient to my wife, that I was kind to my kids, that my neighbor, I treated him in a different way? Yes. So much of righteousness, we looked at it from Ephesians, I mean, Galatians 5 to Romans 13. The whole law summed up in the one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The idea of really getting this down. Um, like if you weren't here last week, I would really encourage you, get last week's podcast that's through on the internet. And the idea of truly, we went through so many passages theologically of understanding how important it is to put into practice love. God puts it throughout all the scriptures. And so this last one is that how you have a rewarding life. Now, as we come to our text today, what we're going to see is love is superior. Love is superior. And, and, and the very first thing is, is in it's in its value. Look at verses 1 to 3. It says, if I speak with tongues of men and of angels but don't have love, I become a noisy gong or a clangy cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. We're going to talk about value here. And who's the one that makes up the value is God. Now listen, I was like, I stop here and just like say this, you know, it's very critical that you understand when you go to verses four to seven and it says love is patient, love is kind. It's a, it's a passage that you see all the time at weddings and special occasions and people put it up, right? You know, how many of us gone to a wedding and, and you know, somebody will read that scripture and you go to weddings and you get our wedding cards and whether it's a Christian or a non-Christian and I started thinking about that because if, if it's a non-Christian wedding and they read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7, you almost want to stand up and say, stop! I don't know if any of you will do this at a wedding. Stop! Don't do that! Don't read that! Why? Because what we're talking about here is incredibly hard. You cannot do what we're talking about over a lifetime unless you have the Holy Spirit. All right, it's so critical that you understand because what God is asking for is a sacrifice, a selfless action that that on your own will just become a point of irritation. You will not have an easy marriage. You will not have easy relationships with people in life. And and marriages are you know 30, 40, 50 years. People that are friends, you know, coworkers for long periods of time. To be patient, to be kind, and to do it right takes the Holy Spirit. And, and so I'm not advocating that anybody stop a wedding and, you know, what, and do what, you know, scream and say, stop, you can't do it. But the reality of it is, is we have to understand what is at stake here, what we're being called to do. So what happens here is the Apostle Paul is theologically trying to get us to understand this is the most excellent way to live, which is incomprehensible because for those of us who have studied, we've been talking about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 
13 is part of it, and 14 are all about this idea of being spiritual gifts. And if you look back up in verse 28 of chapter 12, Apostle Paul has said, you know, there are people who are apostles, there are people who are prophets, there are people who are teachers, people who have the gift of miracles, and you think to yourself, wow, that is a spiritual superman. And I would like to be a superman, like, oh, you're healed, or you're healed, or you're healed. I'd like to give you all the things that you need. But Paul is saying, listen, if it came down to like, have the gift of healing or having the gift and the, or the ability to love, this is the more excellent way. And, and so in one sense, I want you to be encouraged because we have said some of these spiritual gifts have ceased and, 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 and they're not around like the apostles, for example. But everyone here can love. And if that is true, then Get going. Get on it. And so let's look through this. So the reason I put the word value there is I want you to understand we're talking about something of great worth. Now, all of us want stuff. It's natural. There's a sense of of value is something that is important to us, whether it's good experiences or whether it's gold or silver, right? Something that's of value. And, And you say, well, none of this stuff is valuable to me. Guess what? This is what God considers valuable. This is what God considers valuable. And God has given you insight. Someone will say to you, oh, you need to invest in gold, right? You need to invest in silver. Well, you know, if the entire world economy breaks down and gold and silver isn't worth anything, you know, it's foolish of you to have made all that work and all that investment. My point is God is telling you something that has great eternal value, And you have to understand, this is the most important thing to have. And so as we come through this, if you want to have impact on people, you want to be great, you want to be somebody that's significant, you want to be somebody that really has life figured out, this is what you've got to get down. This is, I believe, true because God says this is the more significant way, the more excellent way, the more superior way. So let's look at this. We're going to work through three different ways, okay? That's when we talk about value. And the very first one is this. Having a great speaking ability without love means your words are just an empty noise. So verse 1, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clangy cymbal, meaning I've just made a whole bunch of noise. Now, what, what, what's, I do not have love. I don't possess it. It's, it's not impacting the ability to speak. There's two things here, ability to speak and content, right? Because I can speak stuttering but still say something significant, like free trip to Hawaii for everyone after church, right? You, uh, you know, you'd all get, you heard what I said, right? And, and so the idea is you can stutter that or you can say it very smoothly. I think the emphasis is on the fact that these people have great ability and they're expressing great truths. The idea of tongues comes from the Greek word glossa, which we've studied in our previous studies means languages. Um, People today, you know, um, will think that this is some kind of a spiritual language. We've already done a deep study on this, so I'm not going to hit this too deeply but the Apostle Paul is like dealing with the spiritual gift where people were able to translate or speak into a foreign language that they didn't know. 
And we believe, based upon what's coming in 1 Corinthians 14, that the people were fighting over it. They wish they all had this spiritual gift. They all wish they had the spiritual gift of tongues. And Paul says, look, if I had this great ability, and I could go and I could speak in multiple different foreign languages, and then if I had the tongues of angels, and we don't know what specifically he's speaking of other than maybe speaking in a hyperbolic way in the sense that angels... Um, if they have the ability to speak um, with uh, maybe a resounding voice, because we see in the book of Revelation, sometimes angels make declarations and they got resounding voices, thunderous voices. I think in the book of Daniel, there's an angel who speaks and it has a thunderous voice. So maybe that's what he's referring to. We don't know if there's a secret or, or different angel language, but the idea that it would be really special if you could have that The Apostle Paul is saying, look, if you have this great ability, but you are doing things without love, you're nothing but a bunch of noise. And what what value does noise have? You know, what value does it have? It's absolutely nothing. So how would, how would, you know, how would that come across? Well, I'm a person that speaks, but my motivation isn't love. It isn't the fact that I'm, I'm saying things to encourage you or saying things that build you up. I've just become this noisy, you know, clangy, you know, like beating pots and pans. And, you know, when I was a little kid, one of the greatest things I got to do was, you know, take mom and dad, mom's pans and you just beat on them, right? But I didn't know how to drum. I just made a bunch of noise. Well, I don't want to be an adult in the way I speak just make a bunch of noise. I don't want to be just a an person that's filled with empty sounds. How can I stop from doing that? I don't want to be someone that says things and never comes through. Okay? Let's start thinking about it. Let me just have a quick list. How many people do we know where people promise us things? And they say, oh, I'll be there. And then they never show up. How many dads say, oh, I'll be there. Moms, I'll be there. Kids, you know, people say, I'll do this. And then they never show up. I mean, words that are empty would be words where, you know, people throw these things out and they sound really good. I've had people in my life, they've, they've, they've you know, Mike, you can trust me. I'll be there. Oh, I'm there for you. Blah, blah, blah. And then they never come through. That is just, isn't that a, a punch in the gut? We don't, you don't want to be a person that uses your tongue to say wonderful things and then you don't come through. You don't want to be that type of person. Um, I've heard kids have been traumatized by parents that have been like that, and I think it's true. I think, you know, there are people that in my life that when they say something, I don't count on them. I don't. And, and, I really, it's not just that they're unfaithful, it's an act of un, being unloving. If you're somebody that people can't count on you, this is something for you to challenge yourself. You talk to people, ask somebody, when I say something, do you trust me? Do you trust me? If I said I'll be there next Tuesday, you know, by and large, do you expect me to be there Tuesday? There are people in my life that when they say they will be there next Tuesday, I don't trust them. I don't, I've come, I've lived, I've dealt with some people enough. I couldn't imagine having a relationship in a spouse, other people that are people who are close. It'd be horrible to be that type 
in, in that type of relationship. Do you see how important love is? Love will cause you to be somebody that is dependable. A second thing that you can do with your words that really hurt people that's unloving is that you lie. People that are liars are people that you can't trust in. You can't depend upon them. They say something, but you, they, they just they, they make something up. And so you learn to say, I can't trust you. And again, it's not just that they're untrustworthy. Untrust, it's unloving. When you're a liar, people cannot trust you, and that's not very kind that you're doing that to them. You don't want to be a liar. You know, people, you see in the book of Revelation, God throws all liars into the, into the, liars into the lake of fire. Well, why does God hate lying? Because lying is such unloving. It's unrighteous. You know, you don't want to be a person that just has empty words. Words that can sound, oh, so flowery, so great, so wonderful, you know? And we live in a day and age, and I'm not politically taking any side, but we, we say we just expect our politicians to lie. That's horrendous. We should not expect our politicians to lie. There's ways to say, I can't t- explain something right now because it's, it's security. Therefore, I can't tell you that we're doing this in, in this foreign country, this foreign land, instead of just coming out and out and out lying. And so, listen, we don't want to be liars. Challenge yourself. Ask people in your, in your circle of friends, do you consider me a liar? Third, with your tongue, you brag. People who brag show off. And what they do, what makes them so unloving is they make them want to be big and then you be small. Who wants to make other people small? Make them insignificant. You're not as good as me. Braggarts can do that with their tongue. And anyone that has dealt with somebody that is regularly bragging, it's just like, I don't want to be around you. I don't want to always feel insignificant. Well, challenge yourself. Ask yourself, is that the way I talk? Is that the way I speak? Am I always pushing myself? And then lastly, in my categorization, I came up with the idea of the fact that um, I, when I speak, you know, there are people that are very witty, but really what their wit is, nothing but negative sarcasm. You, you look at a, they, they have a great ability to speak. You know, they speak in, in such a way as that the fact that, that they can cut you and they can get right at you. And this is something we all have to sh- struggle with because I've shared with you, I watch sitcoms. I, I used to. I, I just can't. There's very few television programs anymore to watch. But we live, we live, I know that many of you still watch them. These, these television shows, the way our, our world operates is one-line jokes, constantly cutting people, using tongues in a very sharp and biting way. That is not what God wants us to do. Then your words just become noise, symbols that just make an incoherent noise that don't build and help people up. I challenge you, are you somebody that uses your tongue with a good and positive intent? Because if you don't, everything that you're saying is nothing but empty noise. Then you go on to the next one, and here, this is really scary if you understand 
ministry and service and life, you look at verse 2, and he says, And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Now, what's the value? Nothing. Zero. Your value is nothing. To who? Wait a second. I've just done all these great things. I have the ability to be a great prophet. A prophet is someone that gets word from God and can make a declaration. Listen to me. This is why we say, if, you know, if, if I had the gift of prophecy, I'd be a pretty special person. I mean, I'm, I've got the ability to declare things that you have to all obey. I've got the ability to say things that are worthy to be in the Bible. The, the people who are prophets were pretty special people. And, and the church, we said, was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. We believe we're past the prophet stage. But Paul says, look, just using this in hyperbole, if, I had, if all of us had this special ability, we would be pretty special people doing pretty special, significant things for God. But if you did the things and said the things without the motivation of love, it is n- worth nothing. You are nothing. It's not, I shouldn't say they are worth nothing because the works could be good in that sense, but you aren't getting any profit from it. You're a big zero. And then you go through this whole thing of this list. If I know all mysteries, um, in the sense that you have a, that word for mysteries there were, were spiritual things related to God. It's a really interesting word. And so like I'm, I'm, really, I'm really theologically deep. And this is the one that really I, I, I've hit, and I, I've been with a lot of strong spiritual theolo- theologians in my life. And I, I think back to one time I went to dinner with one of the most profound theologians in this entire country. And the entire one and a half hours was nothing about him. He never asked me about me or never, uh, the guys I was with. He never talked to them about anybody else but him, 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 and all the things he was doing. And, 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 and so you relate this to a person that never asks you a question, never gets involved, never is concerned about telling you and dumping information. They're just concerned about dumping their great knowledge instead of being concerned about you. And so you don't want to be somebody that is just thinking, oh, I've, I've pursued this intellectual um, giganticism, if I'm making that word up. And this is what keep you from, I believe, as I talked about before, legalism. That we're just people accumulating information without really understanding that the reason we're accumulating it is so that we can love people and do things that God wants us to do. Love is not just having the mysteries of God's knowledge. Now, studying God and knowing God is very important. But look at verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy, I know all mystery and all knowledge in the sense I believe your ability to put it all together. You're theologically astute. You're, you've got it down. But then you don't have love. You're a nothing. I mean, that should just sh- cause you to shake in your boots because there's some here that are very intellectual. You're very knowledgeable. But if you don't have love, you're going to stand before God and he's going to say, what you did in life was worthless. And I'll tell you, if it doesn't bother you, then you're a fool. You are an absolute fool. Because when you stand before God and God gives off the rewards, he is going to show you it matters. He has told us reward, 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 and how it impacts your eternity. I don't want to stand before God and have him say, Mike, you're a big zero. And so... 
yes, I want to study the Bible. Yes, I want to know the Bible. But boy, I want to make sure if God has said love is the priority, love is the most excellent way and the way I use my knowledge and use my ability, then I want to make sure that I'm taking it through that grid. That's why I've been begging you, memorize 1 Corinthians 15, I mean 13, 4 to 7. Love is patient, love is kind. Think about this. And if I've, got, if I've just had a conversation with someone about spiritual matters, was it because I just wanted to show off or was it because I really wanted to help and build them up? Do I get involved with ministry to encourage people to bring them to Christ or is it just so I can get another notch on my belt? Look, you go through that list. If I have the gift of prophecy, know all mysteries, all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains. Remember, that's a passage from the, from the Gospels have faith to remove mountains that i believe ties into the messiah remember jesus is going to come and he's going to stand on the mount i was on the mount of olives and it's going to be split in two and the mountains are going to be moved like that that passage has to do with having a great faith and a trust in the messiah okay but the idea that you know I, i've done things i've i've given my life out of a great faith for god but if i did it without a true intent to love and care for people, then I am a big zero. John MacArthur tells the story about a Sunday school teacher who one time came to him and he said, I thought, the, the, the Sunday school teacher said, I thought I really loved the girls in my class. I prepared my lesson carefully and I tried to make everyone feel a part of the class, but I never made any personal sacrifice for those girls. She sensed that with all her study of the Bible, her careful preparation of lessons, and her nice feelings about the class members, she still lacked the key ingredients of agape love that is self-giving and self-sacrificing. Listen, one of the things that you can do, if you did a study of like Jeremiah, what's he known as? The weeping prophet. You look at the apostle Paul. He was somebody that when he was ministering with people and trying to give knowledge to, it was because he cared. Listen to this passage from the apostle Paul. He says, and from the book of Romans, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bearing my witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart for I wish that I myself were a curse separated for Christ for the, for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. The apostle Paul cared for people deeply. And then also Jesus, he wept. Jesus, we know from the gospel of Luke, he wept, he cried for people even though he knew that some people were still going to die, he, he, he empathized with them. So listen, I want to make sure that when I get involved in ministry and I get involved in doing things, I'm doing it with an intent. And when I get involved with life, I'm doing it with an intent to be patient, kind, not jealous, to build people up and not do it for myself. I wrote this. Two spouses could do the same thing. Both husbands could bring flowers home for their wife, but one could do it because he really wants to build the wife up. The other one could, he just wants to show off. God knows your intent as to why you do what you do. God knows why you get involved in a Bible study to teach and why you don't. I, I was taken back. I, um, over the years, being a pastor just shocked at the number of pastors that get involved in ministry just to get rich they move from church to church they move up the ladder and and i met a man that with the ifca and he was doing some scheduling and a very prominent 
pastor, everyone in this, most of you in this room would know. And he was, he, my friend was booking um, speakers in the Chicagoland area. And this very prominent pastor, this was when he was a young man, was asked to come and speak. And at the end of, at the end of um, his speaking engagement, he did a really good job. And they, they gave him an honorarium. Sometimes they'll give pastors honorariums. And they, I think it was like, let's say, a check of $200. And he looked and he said, $200? $200. I could have done four funerals and made close to $1,000. You better turn around and you could have turned, you should turn around and I need more money. And you think, you've got to be kidding me. And yet, some of you have told me you've been a part of certain Christian churches that as soon as the wedding is over, the pastor is at the end of the door, or the priest is at the end of the door, where's my check for $250? And I just heard another story this week. Some, I, I, I was floored that somebody said, I won't do a funeral unless I get $300. I mean, you guys know, and let's make it really indelibly clear, we never charge, I never charge to do a wedding, a funeral, anything. As a matter of fact, I've often told people that are living together, if you will repent and get married, I'll pay for your wedding license, okay? And, and, and my point is, is that we don't do things just to be wealthy. We don't do things just to move up the ladder. We don't do things just for more prominence because we're serving Jesus Christ. That's all to his glory. It's all about his program. And, and, and then it's the same thing. It's why do I accumulate knowledge? Like I've said, I've been, I, I, again, I've got books in my office from some very prominent, nationally known Bible teachers. And I've had lunch with them. And that's all they've done is talked about themselves and never really cared about anyone else. And maybe they get in that mindset, they're on their book tours or whatever, but it's just not what we're supposed to be. But then when I went to seminary, I dealt with the same thing. I, I, there were fellow students and that was all, it was all that they wanted to do was like show off their knowledge, show off their knowledge. But they were never there for people. And that's what I don't want you to think. I don't want anyone to think that's what I'm about. And I don't want that to be any of what you're about. I don't want any of you to go before God and he says you're a big zero. You're nothing. That's a horrific thing. You you need to shudder. There's no value in that. And then you go on to this next one and you say, giving great sacrifices without love profits you nothing. Look at verse three. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor... And, and, and I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love. It profits me nothing. Well, this is incredible sacrifice. This is a sacrifice where you have, you have given everything. And this is what you see sometimes with people financially. They'll give a lot, and they're not giving it out of right motives. There are a lot of religious works that are done around the world. I know that, where people give millions of dollars, and the hope is that the, their names go on the buildings, right? And a smaller scale, this is what I've seen in numerous churches. Churches are struggling with finances, budget, and people will only give money if they get to get their projects done. Now, I'm not saying that sometimes you say, well, gee, I'd like, to, I'd like to put this thing in here. Can I do that? I get that. But if the church was coming and saying, listen, we, we need $20,000. We need $30,000 or we're not going to be able to make budget. And you say, well, I don't care. I, sh- I want my new, you know, 
I want my new walkway or whatever. I want this new light out in front of the church. You know, you're saying, wait a second, the church collectively needs this, but you want your agenda. You're not thinking of other people. You're not loving the other people. If you do things just because it's what you want, see, that's the motivation. You're not doing things. You're not giving this just to build and be concerned about other people. You want what you want. And, you know, it's no different from the mom and dad that give of themselves totally for their kids, they claim, but they're never there for their kids. If I give you everything, but I'm not there for you, it it profits you nothing. It profits you nothing. So you look at verse 3, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and I surrender my body so to be burned, the idea is... You know, I'm going to be so sacrificial in ministry that it will kill me. But the motivation wasn't ever just so that I could really make a difference in people's lives. It would be that people could see that I'm a martyr. God knows your intent. And when you start getting into an intent, that should scare you in a good way. In a good way, because if you do things, and one of the things I've shared with you, I surely hate to be falsely accused. I don't know if I should. This is a, personally, you want to really get under my skin, falsely accuse me of something. I, we all have different things that bother them. But I'll tell you one of the neat things that as I grow in this and understand is that when I do things and I know why I'm doing it, I have great confidence. If I'm doing it out of love and I'm doing it out of the right motivation as to why I'm doing certain things, then I'm, I feel right. And I, I need to explain myself to somebody. I can always explain myself to somebody. That's nothing wrong. Some people ask you why you did what you did. But listen, you don't want to be a person that gets just involved in ministry to promote self and do great sacrifices, you know? It's like the church where the people have their giving and the, and the you know, the pastor announces, so-and-so gave 1,000, so-and-so gave 5,000 this morning, so-and-so gave 10,000 this morning. You know, and like we're all in competition and you just want your name up in light so that everyone sees what you've done. Listen, God here is trying to get you to understand this is the full gamut. You know, how you speak, how you serve, how you, how you sacrifice. If your motivation isn't with love, then ultimately empty noise, big zero, nothing. I don't want any of you guys to fail. We went through... Last week, passages, and I've got them here in my notes, where we talked about the incredible reality of how God has basically laid out the fact, I do it off of memory, come on, come on, Michael. Um, the idea is, is that God has said the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment in the world is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is to love others like yourself, right? So if that's the greatest commandment, I need to focus on it. God has said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, the goal of all Christian instruction is love, agape love. So if I don't, as a pastor, focus this on you, then I've missed what the apostle Paul has explicitly said, this is what God's end goal is. You need to start challenging and shaping this idea of sacrifice. And it impacts then, you know, your marriage, your children, your job, your relationships, your people in the church, instead of you becoming inwardly focused, it causes you to be outwardly focused. But also, you've got to remember, if this is the goal, this is what God is going to greatly reward. 
Love serves as a witness to the world. The whole world knows we're disciples if we love one another. What do you mean, love one another? Like I said last week, if you weren't here, the people you live with irritate you. They they do. Um, They don't always go with your agenda. They don't always, you know, honor you. They don't always are as kind to you. The people that are closest to you, well, you understand how important it is to be patient, kind, and not jealous with people within your family. Well, then more so with the church. The idea, Jesus says, the way the church treats one another is critical because the whole world knows that the way they live with other people, people, you know, as I stated last week, they get on one another's case. That's why all those Facebook memes were out there, you know, with Thanksgiving about how, you know, it's family time. It's going to be time of irritation and how to, you know, bring up... Bring up politics so that all of a sudden your family doesn't still get together. Nobody wants to get together with you. Why? Because people know that family irritates one another. Well, when they see the church loving one another, they see the church reacting in a way that, wow, we're patient, we're kind, we're not jealous. Wow, we don't just run away from one another every time we have a dispute. I tell you, and I've shared with you, one of the greatest attributes that I have seen in marriage is when I irritate my wife and she doesn't make the rest of the afternoon hell. So great commendation. I can, I bring, I could say the wrong thing, say, do the wrong thing, but you all know people that when you irritate them, you now have to live with cold shoulder. You now have to sleep in the other bed. You now have to, you now have to get a cold meal. And it's amazing when, if I'll say, because I always say, forgive me. Um, when you say, forgive me, and you work and you reconcile, to let those things to, to go forward. Listen, this is what God is calling us to be in the church with one another. Now, I know some of you guys weren't here last week, so I'm just repeating that from last week, from John chapter, excuse me, John 13, verses 34 to 35. Love serves as a witness to the world. How we irritate one another and then forgive one another and move on is so critical as a church. Love is key to living righteously. Love is the most valuable attribute, according to the Song of Solomon. I mean, if a person sold and gave away love, they would be despised. That's in a marriage, let alone all relationships. Listen, I'm trying to get you to understand. Where did I got? I want you, in wrapping up, to catch this. God is challenging you to be concerned about yourself in a sense. Now, did you catch that? Because when I said that this is all about being superior and God giving great value, as much as I've said about love sacrificing and love giving to others, God ultimately wants you to say, I don't want to be, I don't want to be nothing but a big noise. I don't want to be a big zero. I don't want to be someone that's nothing. So in a sense, you say, well, how do I get there? Then you practice the agape love. You, you are someone that thinks, speaks, and acts, being patient, being kind, not jealous, not being braggart. Not acting rudely, not seeking your own, not acting out of provocation, forgiving. 
Love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth, bears, believes, hopes, and endures all things. You start acting like that, taking yourself through the grid in the morning and in the night, and all of a sudden, your life is going to be transformed. I don't want any of you to say, oh, I'm a great speaker for God. Oh, I do great works for God. I did great sacrifices. But you didn't have a love motivation. God knows what your motivation is. I said the good side is, if God knows your motivation, then you are going to be rewarded, even if sometimes people misperceive it. We live in a world where people misperceive what you do. There are people who speak eloquently, but they lie and they brag. You don't want to be like that. There are people who speak eloquently and they promise you the world, but they never come through for you. You don't want to be like that. You want to do great things, but you want to say, is this what the person needs? You know, is this what the person needs? And when you sacrifice, if you're sacrificing, but you're only doing it to like go through the motions, God knows that, and the people around you know it. All of us need to remember God's example. Who wrote this? I don't know who wrote this. The supreme measure and example of agape love is God's love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Love is above all sacrificial. It is a sacrifice of self for the sake of others. Even for others who may care nothing at all for us and who may even hate us. It is not a feeling but a determined act of the will which will always result in determined acts of self-giving. Love is the willing, joyful desire to put the welfare of others above our own. It leaves no place for pride, vanity, arrogance, self-seeking, self-glory. It is an act of choice we are commanded to exercise even in behalf of our enemies. All of this is incredible. And you say, well, you know, all these commands, 66 books of the Bible, all this theology, how can I know what to do? This is why I talk about not being legalistic. Look at and say to yourself every day, am I being this type of person? Patient, kind, not jealous. And you say, well, I can't. Well, maybe it's because you're not saved. And I don't want to pound that, but this is, you know, the, the only way we can do it, the only way we can continue to grow is if we have that relationship with Jesus Christ. So do you know Jesus? And if you know Jesus, then you should find yourself growing. And I th- just hit, I just want to read one passage and we'll be done. I said Philippians chapter one. I, yes. Why don't you just turn there and we'll just, this is for all of you who are believers. And this is a prayer I often put on when I write in birthday cards, when I write to people in our church when they have their birthday. Philippians chapter one, verse nine. The apostle Paul says, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Why? Because Jesus is going to judge every one of you for how you lived. Let's pray. Father, I pray that everyone's ready for that. I pray that we are a church that hears well done, good and faithful servants. I hope that this is a church that gets amazed with the amount of award they got because of the way we treated one another, the way we treated our spouses, the way we treated our children. Oh, God, we all fail. I fail, even though I focus on this, sometimes I come off angry, sometimes I I get irritated. 
But the key for all of us is to be forgiving, to seek forgiveness, to be people that are constantly recognizing that we need to strive for this. I pray, God, that that's who we are, that we are people that are finding ourselves growing in love. Help us to be people that understand the depths of agape, sacrificial love that the world misses in their weddings, the world misses in their get-togethers, and even though they're in a crowded room, they still feel lonely. Help us to be people who never feel lonely because we know how to serve one another. And then, God, if somebody's looking at the way they speak and they say, I'm just a liar, or they say, I'm just someone that offers promises, but I never come through. I'm someone that's done a lot of things out of self-seeking motivation. I'm just like, I just have my agenda. This is what I want to do. Then, God, I pray that they repent. I pray that they just start to live differently today. If they need to come to Christ, come to Christ. But help all of us to have the understanding of what it means to live sacrificially. In Christ's name, amen.